Welcome to the Wheel of Sport, home of the greatest sports stories ever told. My name's Ian McNally and with me is Matt Lavery. Hello there. Hello. How's it going? Yeah, good. We're back again for another belting episode, no doubt. And um, honestly, we'll get the wheel spinning and while the wheel's spinning, I'll just give a shout out to one of our listeners, Neil in Canberra. Now, I know Neil listens avidly to the Wheel of Sport, who's introduced by his son Daniel, who lives in Melbourne. And I know that they actually listen to the episodes and, and have a little chat about them. Oh, very nice. So that's, it. that's lovely, isn't it? So thanks, Neil. And in this episode, the topic is... Golden moments. Golden moments. Oh, nice. Wow. Nice. I've got a good one for this as well. Oh, you you go for it, Matt. I'm oh. uh, I'm feeling a bit, bit under the weather. <laughs> bit under the weather. Yeah. Yeah, oh, well, I'm delighted to take it. Um, it's actually a topic which yeah, I think I've mentioned before. I'm quite a keen runner. Uh, all right, we've all got things going on. Come yeah, on. yeah, I'm yeah, all yeah. trying. So, humble brags. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about a, uh, a guy who's ran a couple of marathons uh, and had some relative success. Yourself. Is, is this, is this, are, you, are you just shoehorning your own success? Oh, it's man. This. One day, can I, can I do that? <laughs> G- give us a quick rundown of your own personal experience running marathons. What, what, which four marathons have you ran? I have ran Melbourne, uh, Paris, London, and I started but didn't finish Liverpool due to a, a bit of an injury. Wow. And I'm running Melbourne again this year, so... That, that's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, got a little collection. The most running I've ever done in my life is when I was shoplifting. Right. <laughs> it's very... <laughs> it's great for your speed over a I short imagine, distance, yeah. but you know, it's not Less about stamina. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, no. <laughs> Clearly it didn't endure. Uh, but yeah, so you, this is about a marathon runner. It is, yes. Um, a marathon runner named a baby Bikila. I think I've pronounced that right. He's a, is a chap who was born in Ethiopia back on the August the 7th, 1932. Now, that's coincidentally the day, or the date rather, of the Los Angeles uh, Olympic Marathon. So it's almost as if he was fated to, uh, to, to run. Or maybe not. Probably not. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to actually search what other things happened on that on day. On that day, yeah. 7th of August, 1932. Um, but yeah, he was born in Jata, which is three hours north of... Uh, Adidas Ababa, which is the Ethiopian capital, and it's very rural out there. So, as you may know, uh, in 1935, Mussolini started the Italian conquest of Ethiopia, and and, that, and that's relevant for the story. Um, so he grew up under sort of Italian rule. Mussolini being the uh, not very nice dictator of Italy. Correct, yes, the fascist uh, Italian dictator. Uh, who actually, in, from my knowledge, in quite embraced sport. In, I think Italy won the World Cup in 36, yep. I think. Yeah, 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 the Black uh, Shirts, yeah. yeah, he definitely tried to harness the power of sport and mm. knew it. But you know one of the interesting things about Mussolini? You know, like, dictators have a favourite side that they want their photograph taken from. Right. Like, so they left or right side. What, <laughs> is that just dictators or is that... I mean, that's everyone on Instagram, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, we've all become mini dictators, haven't we? Like, right. <laughs> these are in the days where, you know, only important people had their photograph taken. Right, okay. So... Mussolini's favorite side or preferred side was his chin so he liked his photograph taken from below him so that it gave like when people looked at pictures of him it was like him looking down at them wow (laughs) isn't that amazing I mean that didn't come up in my research of this (laughs) my Olympic marathon runner Bakila but uh, it it kind of let's say it it kind of informs uh, perhaps the 
the attitude of the man yes. and uh, his rule in in exploration of Ethiopia. Absolutely, to put it kindly. <laughs> well, uh, Bikila grew up in Ethiopia, as I say, uh, under the Italian rule, and he lived in the uh, in the countryside where the main pastime would be the the Ethiopian sport of Ghana, um, which is kind of their version of hockey. But the goalposts would be in the opposing village, so literally miles <laughs> apart. Um, and, wow! And you know, when you grow up playing that kind of sport, uh, I guess I guess long distance running is is sort of going to come natural. I mean, he he ended up taking up running properly um, in 1956. So after the fall of fascism, after Mussolini's gone, uh, and the the Ethiopians have been liberated. He actually joined the army and became the, one of the personal bodyguards of, of the emperor. And, and in the army, that was where he sort of discovered running and, and took it up. That seems um, strange to me because when I was growing up, the, the question you'd get asked is, can you run or can you fight? Right. <laughs> it, it, was, it was never, you could never do both. <laughs> Clearly this, well, it, this, this guy the, could. This guy, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much, how much fighting he actually did, but I guess because Ethiopia was a, a pretty poor country after the Italian occupation, limited sports grounds, limited sports equipment. So long distance running was just a natural sport for, for the Ethiopians. And for most people, you know, long distance running would just be the way to get around. You know, they wouldn't have infrastructures like perhaps in parts of Europe, you know, train lines and, and things like that to connect the cities. So quite often people would just run from, from one place to the next. But as I say, so he's in the army now, 1956, he started running. And what's interesting is the core, I guess, that he's a part of has a Swedish sports coach. And he's very impressed by Bikila. And just really sort of interested in in getting the best out of him and and sort of other Ethiopians. Um, he actually uh, Niskasen was his name, the Swede. He'd taken the first ever Ethiopian Olympic athletes to Melbourne uh, in 1956. They they did pretty badly in in the Melbourne Olympics. Uh, the Ethiopians, but why why was the Swedish guy? Do you know? Um, why he ended up in Ethiopia? I, look, I, I did look into this. I don't know sort of the full details. The emperor, Silise, had spent some time in Sweden before becoming the emperor of Ethiopia. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, um, so I don't know if he brought him back over with him. Um, but there was some lineage or connection there. At I guess least. so, yeah. 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 I, d- I yeah. don't sort of fully know that. But um, he, he's got a bit of pedigree, I guess, with, uh, with taking athletes to, to the Olympics. And he's working in the army and he's, he's pretty impressed. But he says, yeah, 1956 didn't go so well for us. Let's have a look at, at getting a team together for 1960. He thinks for the marathon, there's going to be two spaces available. Uh, so we're going to take two guys uh, over. So they have over 50 Ethiopians taking part, sort of trying to run the qualifiers. And Bikila wins easily. He records a time of two hours, 21 minutes and 23 seconds. To give you an idea, in 1952, the Helsinki Olympics w- was won by Emil Zatopek. He won with a record-breaking time of 2 hours, 23 minutes, and 0.3 seconds. So, Bekele has taken two minutes off his time in the trials to, to qualify. Wow. Um, <laughs> he, he is unreal. But with that, there's a bit of a sort of vague story, and it's a bit tr- tricky now whether or not he would have actually been selected. 
because Wami Baratu was the Ethiopian national champion who they wanted to take in one of those spots, but he became seriously ill. So there's rumours that Bekele, even though he'd had this amazing qualifying time, wasn't going to be selected um, to go to the Olympics, but but was. And the story goes out, I mean, I don't know how much truth there is in this, but that he was basically called up at the last minute and only just made the plane um, to get... Running for the plane. Yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) If one man could make it. Um, So I don't know if that's... If, if that's sort of a bit of a exaggeration or not, but whatever happened, he was selected and he was he was taken to the nineteen sixty uh, Olympics in in Rome, and the, the Rome Olympics in nineteen sixty was spectacular. So you know, there's huge celebrations. They really wanted to show the world that they were a, a free country, a progressive country. You know, sort of it got rid of the shackles of, of the fascism, and it's. 17 years later and they're really sort of putting on this huge show and it's it's been a really as i said spectacular and successful olympic games so the guys the the, the ethiopian lads uh Bikila and wakjira uh are there and they're, they're very excited but they're used to running barefoot and they've been given the some trainers the the adidas trainers but they're just not that comfortable with them and it's not sort of natural to them. So the question is, do you wear shoes? There's also a, a bit of a political thing because the Ethiopians don't want to be shown, showing themselves to the world as a poor country which can't even provide their Olympic athletes with trainers, you know, and that's, they're worried about that being the perception. You know, they're, they're not fancied at all. As I said, in 1956 in Melbourne, they, the, the Ethiopian team didn't do particularly well. These two races have turned up and nobody gives them a hope. Nobody can pronounce their names. Nobody knows who they are. And now they're talking about not wearing trainers and there's a fear of it becoming a bit of a national embarrassment and a bit bit of a farce. Wow. So there is that real connection and kind of paranoia around Ethiopia, obviously as self-conscious as, as not being a, a particularly wealthy country, mm. that that's going to kind of, send waves across the world on the world stage yeah that they, they just don't want to be a laughing stock yeah um but they so they did a 10k trial run wearing the shoes and it just wasn't a success they both developed blisters so they ended up making the decision we're going to run barefoot presumably they'd grown up running barefoot exactly and it, yeah it would presumably be very hard to go back to any running shoe at all yeah like, i mean it's I guess it's it's quite nuanced and I don't think it's as simple as, you know, they'd obviously worn shoes and, and ran in shoes before, but it just wasn't natural. And again, it comes to that rumour about was he really in the team? And if he wasn't, maybe that's why their, their sort of shoes weren't ready for him or weren't weren't right. But it wasn't just him, as I say, his teammate, Wakajira, also didn't didn't wear the shoes. So... I heard a, a podiatrist on the TV once say that shoes were like coffins for your feet. Yeah, well... Like she said huge, they're like really bad for your feet. There's a huge movement now. It's really trendy to run barefoot or sort of close to barefoot. Um, and all shoes are... There's a big movement to sort of get away from, as you say there. Yeah, but I think it's it, it's the, the other paradox is if you've grown up wearing trainers, yes. running shoes then it's very hard to go to barefoot yeah, exactly, because you've yeah. actually trained your body to like yeah. go from the heel strike, mm-hmm. whereas presumably 
barefoot runners don't heel strike. They put the pressure on their foot a lot more evenly and a lot more toe forward mm. than you we do when you wear running shoes. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really interested now to see because <laughs> obviously Adidas have had their uh, eye wiped as well. <laughs> Because here are Olympic athletes saying, no, no, I'd I'd actually rather have nothing than your shoe. It's crazy, right? (laughs) So So, to picture the day, it's Saturday, uh, 10th of September, 1960, beautiful sunshine. The race is scheduled for 5.30pm, which is a bit of an unusual time for the the marathon. Normally it it would be in the morning. There's also... They, they've changed the track around a little bit, so they're not necessar- they don't finish inside a stadium. Uh, and they've got 69 runners lining up. And the crowd goes wild as, as the race begins. And they all surge forward. And there's not enough room for the runners to go through. It's absolute pandemonium. They have to basically, the, the security have to push back the crowds just to make a gap for the runners to even get through. So the favorite there is a Russian um, called Sergei Popov, uh, and he'd won the European title uh, in Stockholm in 1958 with a world best time of two hours, 15 minutes, and 17 seconds. Um, there was also a much fancied uh, Moroccan called Radi, but Bekele was absolutely sort of not not fancied at all. One of the commentators uh, actually says, but but who is that quiet Ethiopian uh, as the camera sort of pans across and you can see Popov laughing. He's got his hammer and sickle on his shirt and he's, he's sort of joking around with his friend. And Bekele <laughs> looks very tense. Uh, it's, nobody's taking him seriously. That's the other thing. So Niskensen, the Swedish coach, you know, he's not kept Kele's times secret. You know, this, the, the, he ran... The be- his best ever time of two hours, 21 minutes and 23 seconds, which he'd clocked up. Everyone said, that's not possible. That's better than the world record. That's you, Your watch must be broken. Like they just weren't having it. They were not treating the, the Ethiopian team seriously. You know, they're coming out making these fanciful claims about unofficial world records and not wearing any shoes and people are just, <laughs> come on. I thought the opposite that he would, be the most relaxed guy in the field but you're saying he looked tense he looked tense yeah in the video i I, the only thing i can put that down to is that he's the bodyguard of selassie who's like the the top dog in ethiopia he must have given the hard word wasn't he to say bring that goal back (laughs) bring us back because otherwise you've got to come into my office and it's not going to end well (laughs) maybe that's why he's looking tense you know he's getting the word from up on high don't disgrace our country well, I mean, I wouldn't even like to, to speculate about the political <laughs> ramifications. You need your own bodyguard, son. <laughs> um, but yeah, certainly he looks tense at the beginning. But as I say, the race begins. Bekele is not, uh, not amongst the leaders as the race starts. Bekele in the lead are the Irishman Mesut, the Belgian Pandadrish, the two Moroccans, Radi and Saudi, and the quite unknown Ethiopian we saw at the start. He is called a baby Bekele. He is barefooted. The leaders are down to four. The Ethiopian is 28 years old, is married, has two sons. He has run all his life on the Abyssinian Plateau. When he entered for the marathon in Rome, he gave a time better than Zatopex, but nobody believed that his stopwatch could be right. But as, as these things happen, uh, groups start to appear um, throughout the 69 races, runners, and um, Bekele suddenly finds himself second. Uh, so he's in the first group, and he's alongside Popov. And by the fifth kilometre... 
he's towards sort of the back of the first group of five people. Uh, so he's got Rardi in there as well. And by the 15th kilometer, that leading group of five is down to four. So up towards the 18th kilometer, the duel's really starting. And it's Rardi and it's Bakila. So Rardi is the, is the Moroccan. The, the favorite Popov's fallen behind and they just keep going. It, there's, there's a really cool quote um, that the two are running in rhythm like a four-legged tandem. It's just going, going, going. And as it, as it sort of gets towards the 30th kilometer, Bikila's just starting to nudge ahead, but, but only just. And, and what's really spectacular about this race, as I say, it started at 530 they're not concluding in the stadium. So they're running around uh, around Rome. They run down um, the Apian Way in darkness. It's totally, it's pitch black. So you've got these Roman monuments, um, hundreds of torch-bearing soldiers, literally holding flaming torches. And it's just creating this absolutely remarkable atmosphere and just such a dramatic sight as you've got these two athletes you know, going toe for toe, hell for leather, really pushing each other all the way with 10, 12 kilometers left and just no, nothing between them. And it's it's just there in this incredible scene of Rome, as I say, with, with fire and soldiers everywhere. At about the 30th kilometer, a baby takes the lead and imposes his pace and his implacable step. Every now and again, Radi drops back, but regains his position quickly. Borobiev no longer has faith in Zatopek's schedule and asks Popov permission to go ahead. It gets to the 39th kilometer and most of the competitors uh, stop to take some refreshments, uh, but not Bikila. He just keeps on going. And minutes later, they come to the Ethiopian obelisk of Aksum, which had actually been looted by Mussolini's soldiers 20-something years earlier. Niskansen, the Swedish coach, has said to him, look, when you see that obelisk, that's when you go. You're two kilometers from the end and you put it in. And he begins, he, you know, he makes his kick. And by the 41st kilometer, he's, he's five meters ahead. He, he can't As the athletes pass under St. Sebastian's Gate, a baby is so far ahead that the others have no chance of catching up. But what's mad is, as, as they're getting closer, there's panic starts in the press box because Bakila's gonna win and all of the journalists are saying but we don't know anything about him (laughs) (laughs) so now the tension has shifted from the start line yeah exactly all the way to the press box and they're just thinking what are we gonna say about this guy you know he's just coming up stronger and he's he's gonna win but but they don't know about him and he's he's suddenly you know, he's on the European way, um, which is the route that the conquerors of of his country would have taken and w- where his people would have been enslaved. And, and yet here he is, you know, as this Ethiopian in Italy, I guess, you know, without getting too political about it, just sort of vanquishing uh, those demons and really sort of being a success for... Ethiopia, but but also for, for Africa as well. His name is on every lip. A magnificent effort. Two hours, 15 minutes, 16.2 seconds. The emperor will surely promote him for this. But it's just amazing, you know, he, he reaches the finish line and he just starts dancing. Straight away, he does this little jig 
Niskansen runs over and is celebrating with him. And, and everyone's just amazed by how calm and how, how relaxed he's, he looks. But he's won it easily. He's actually got a world record, an Olympic record, um, by eight minutes. Beat, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he's just laughing. He's laughing. He's laughing. He's dancing. He's the first black African to win a gold medal at the Olympics. And, and it's just so important because, again, without sort of being you know, making it bigger than it is. It's it's a sporting moment, but it did feel like a big moment in African history. You, you know, you've got Ghana's independence a few years earlier in 1957 and sort of this, the, the whole of black Africa, I guess, are just feeling empowered and feeling independent. And there's this really glorious future for them. And and he was a, a symbol for that, Bikala, because he'd, as I say, he just sort of, you know, a lot of people would say, yeah, you just stuck it to our colonial overlords from, from a few years earlier and, and there he is back in, in their garden winning a gold medal. From this day on, the name of her baby Bikila will rank alongside those of Nurmi and Zatunik. I mean, as I say, you can, I don't want to become too uh, mired in, in the drama, but it's pretty incredible, right? There is a significance to it because in that post-war period, the whole of, you know, Western Europe was was changed. But also the knock-on effect was that all the empires had to reshuffle and particularly the British Empire, who owned a lot of Africa, the French Empire, all had to reshuffle and recede as well. Like, as you say, the independence movements from a lot of the former Commonwealth countries. Mm. This is n- not insignificant. No. <laughs> and particularly to win it in the country that had occupied his people. Exactly. What a moment. Oh, it's incredible. So he he's, you know, he returns home a, a conquering hero, but almost as soon as he's back, just a couple of months later, there's actually a coup, um, or an attempted coup in Ethiopia, and the bodyguards that he's a part of basically rise up against uh, the Empress Elise. He's not really involved in it, but he was detained uh, and he's, he's held and a lot of people died. Um, and, and one of the newspaper basically quite boldly said, you know, he owes his life to his gold medal. Um, but, you know, it, it sort of settled down um, and he was sort of able to go back to his, to his career, which now is sportsman. And he's firmly fixed on the 1964 Olympics, which is going to be held in Tokyo. Um, so he starts training for that. And in 1961, he went to participate in a marathon in Osaka in Japan. And it was the first marathon which he'd competed in where he wore shoes. So he'd met with um, his coach, uh, Niskansen, was always encouraging him to, to give give trainers a go. And the head of, a, I think it was ASICS, he met with the head of the company, and he said, look, your, how did he describe? He said, your bare feet are excellent. They're like cat's paws, but still shoes would improve your record. And with his coach and I guess the offer of, of trying the ASICs. Oh, because ASICs yeah. have a brand called Tiger, don't they? Which goes to the paw. That's right. probably why he's described them yeah, as the paw. Yeah, could be, actually, he, yeah. The yeah. Tiger brand. Yes, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. yeah. But eventually he gives in anyway, and he gives the trainers a go. And yeah, he's, he, he's doing well. It's, he's heading to 1964 Olympics, but then disaster strikes and he's taken ill 
with appendicitis and he needs an operation. So he's in hospital and it's he's just thinking there's no way he's going to be able to to compete. But even in the hospital, you know, he's still optimistic. He's just had surgery and he's sort of jogging around at the hospital courtyard and just trying to keep his is training up in as he's sort of post-op <laughs> he's this out there um because he, he he's sort of doing these gymnastics and he's just thinking yeah can i do it well three weeks later it's the marathon and guess what another gold he wins it again <laughs> in his asics uh, in his asics he uh he wins it again and that was a tough race because since He'd won it four years earlier. That world best time had been broken three times. So people are looking at the 1964 field and the other runners and saying, look, this is going to be really hard. And when he's got, you know, he's coming back from appendicitis, people are writing off the Ethiopians. Nobody had ever defended the marathon gold before. But yeah, 68 on the start line and uh, he's got his shoes on. He's got his white socks on. He's actually last out of the stadium, but didn't take long. And, and once he gets out up front, nobody is catching him. So he's now got his second gold and he's got a new world best time. So, I mean, it, it must have been an absolute golden time for marathon runners. You know, in four years, you've had four world best times. So he's now set a new world best, a new Olympic best of two hours, 12 minutes and 11.2 seconds. He's the first person to win two marathon golds. You know, he's he's become a just a hero. So no one in history before him had defended a um, Olympic gold marathon. No, that's he was extraordinary, the first. isn't it? Yes. Um, so he's, you know, his popularity soared. I mean, there was a poll uh, shortly after that, um, and he was in in Africa in an African magazine, and he was voted the most popular person in Africa <laughs> to go with his two gold medals. But he's still not done. So in 1968. Mexico City, he's looking for a hat trick, but he runs 17 Ks, so I guess sort of just shy of, of halfway, maybe about a third of the way around. Uh, and unfortunately, he has to pull out. Um, he's got a broken foot, and he just kept going anyway. He, he started the race, he'd been training with broken bones in his, in his foot and in his leg, so he didn't get the hat trick, uh, which was a shame. And then, unfortunately, Later that year in 1968, he was actually involved in a, a pretty severe car accident, which left him in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the waist down. I guess his competitive spirit wasn't diminished. You know, he, he remained absolutely uh, committed to to sport. He won gold in a 25K cross-country sledging competition in 1970. He also competed in the Stoke and Mandeville Games, which was a bit of, in London, which was a bit of a forerunner for the, for the Paralympic Games. So the the guy's just absolute gun, you know. He's he just did not stop. Unfortunately, at forty one years old in nineteen seventy three, um, he died um, of complications caused by the the earlier car accident. But it, when he when he was buried at his funeral, there were seventy five thousand people turned up to celebrate his life, um, which just goes to show, as I say, you know, his popularity, real hero of Ethiopia, real hero of of Africa um, or black Africa. And uh, yeah, I, you know, he's still celebrated now uh, it, it, 50 years after his win um, in 2010, uh, the Rome marathon, it was dedicated to his memory and, and quite appropriately um, 
an Ethiopian male and an Ethiopian female did the marathon double uh, wow. 50 years later, which was pretty cool. And yeah, you know, he's he sort of had, uh, I think he's got a stadium in Rome named after him as well. And he's he's just a real hero. Like. And he like paved the way for, he was the first one to batter down a door. And you look at like Turgut and Haile Gabrisselassie, like in, uh, exceptional athletes, exceptional runners. And then even for like East Africa, Obviously, there's not a major marathon that a Kenyan hasn't won. Mm. Clearly, that influence must have transcended Ethiopia. You know, you can talk about you can't be it unless you see it. Mm. And here he is, black athlete, African, winning in Rome, but not even just winning, like in style. Yeah, exactly. No shoes on his feet. Yeah. And like breaking the record and then doing it again just four years again later. Four years later. Um, and his career is what, eight years like 1960 to 1968 as a car accident. Basically, So yeah. it's eight years. Like Dexy's Midnight Runners. They were in existence for eight years and only had one hit. <laughs> <laughs> Dexy's Midnight Runners. So, Other so. runners are available. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you, you mentioned um, Halid Gibris Selassie. Mm. And he, I always struggle pronouncing that. Really, yeah. R- yeah. Highly Gabri Selassie. There's Thank a you. lot of letters in his There's name. There's a lot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always struggle. It's embarrassing. <laughs> um, but he said, uh, before Baby Belika, there were no runners in Africa, or at least no runners that the world knew about. He, he mentions Bekele all of the time. And he says that if it hadn't been for him, he'd probably just be a shepherd somewhere. And he never would have really got into running because he was so inspired by Bekele and, and his story. So as you say, really paved the way for a lot of black African uh, marathon runners and, and now they totally dominate that that field. So, And I know from Haile Gabriel Selassie's uh, him growing up talking of uh, when he talked at the start about running just being a way to get around I know he used to run something like 20 kilometres to school over like slag heaps like so hilly arduous territory mm. and run there and back like kind of every day and I suppose a lot of Africans were doing that, but here is the perfect vehicle to actually be rewarded for something that they do every day and they're so good at. Yeah. Um, and also the high altitudes and everything play a part in the well, that's, ability that's the other and thing, the, yeah. the physique as well. Um, they, they do talk about the, the altitude. Um, so in the race, uh, in his first gold, he was racing, as I said, the Moroccan, um, Radi, uh, and they were both from the mountains. They both sort of worked as youths, as, as shepherds. And yeah, they, you know, we now know in the 60s, they, there probably wasn't really the, the scientific understanding behind it. But, you know, training at, at altitude now and, you know, athletes training with reduced oxygen or more oxygen, all of that, it, it really matters. But yeah, it certainly aids and, and aided Bekele uh, to to go double gold success amazing i and and i love the fact that even though he suffered this tragic tragic car accident which effectively started his demise to his his death what four or five years later mm. he was still competitive like and it's nice like stoke mandeville uh games like the forerunner for the paralympics but that was um stoke mandeville with a olympic mascots in 2012, 2012 and yes. they the names of them so there is that kind of lineage and and i suppose he is the starting point isn't he for what a great legacy to leave for african long distance running hero 
Absolutely. Well, thanks, Matt. And make sure whatever you've listened to this podcast on, whatever platform, leave us a review. Five stars, of course. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you leave four? Well, exactly. And also, if you're going to leave a one star, leave a comment. Don't leave one and then run away. <laughs> you gotta go. Why are you inviting five our listeners star- no, to no, do actually, Just don't sorry, do it. Five stars, five stars or nothing. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate any feedback. You can email us at thewheelofsport at gmail.com. Follow us, Instagram, Twitter, and we will love to hear from you. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much, Ian. See you next time on The Wheel of Sports. Only one kilometre to go now. Friday has given up all hope of victory, and the baby runs on alone through the cheering crowd.